Matt Dwyer here, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to become a bigger part of the world of Conversations with Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com slash shop and purchase a t-shirt or a phone case with the Conversations with Dwyer logo right on it. It's that little head, round head thingy uh, that was created by Charlene Yee. That'll help support the podcast and spread the word. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You could also find that link at themattdwyer.com. For $5 a month, you get extended interviews, video versions of the interviews, you get bonus episodes, all kinds of extra content, sometimes blogs. And there's different tiers, but the $5 one definitely is, I think, affordable for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast. And now let's listen to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, if you like that song that played me in, it is called Sacrificial Lamb. It is by the Ophelias. And my guest today is Spencer Peppet. Oh, and it's also from the album Crocus, which comes out September 24th, 2021 on Joyful Noise. All things the Ophelias are in the show notes. Uh, you could buy the album off off their band camp or from Joyful Noise. And uh, you could look at them on Instagram and you could support the Ophelias any way you can. They're a great band, very popular. I would say they're very popular. Uh, <laughs> also, as usual, this conversation went longer than the hour that I allot for the podcast. So if you want to hear the interview conversation in its entirety you can become a patreon subscriber that's a you can find that at themattdwire.com and if you like the ophelias and you like their music you might like some of my past guests uh i've had julia and stephanie from the coat hangers who also have prospective bands i've had danita sparks from l7 uh wayne coin from the flaming lips legends like uh van dyke parks the lit and it's a long list of great people I've had on the show, so go to themattdwire.com, check out my past episodes, please. Uh, and, you know, if you the, the Patreon has all kinds of great extra bonus stuff, and there's going to be more. I'm really working hard to get that stuff together. I know I plugged it at the top of the show. I know I'm plugging it again. Really aggravating, irritating, I know. But I'm just trying to make a thing happen here. So with... This is a really great conversation, by the way. I really enjoyed talking to Spencer, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Again, go to the show notes, support their music. Here's my conversation with Spencer Peppet. I lived in Manhattan for school for a couple years. Um, I was like in Manhattan for freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, I moved to Brooklyn. Then after I graduated, I moved to Queens. <laughs> so it's like, you just keep getting a little farther and further from Manhattan. But I remember when I lived in Manhattan, I think it was a junior year, the building I lived in got condemned, um, which does feel just like the New York experience. <laughs> I live above an ice cream shop. They play music loud enough. It feels like I'm listening to it in headphones, 10 a.m. to midnight. I also live next to three bars, but they don't, they're not a problem. It's just the ice cream store. <laughs> like... I don't know, but now that building's condemned, 
so Do, were you living in uh, midnight cowboy cuz <laughs> that's what that's something like that yeah, yeah. that's uh wow it's, it's it's hilarious that the ice cream shop is louder than three bars I would honestly it got to the point where I would call them pretty much daily and be like turn your music down and they would be like no and so like myself joe uh my roommates at the time my friends it became kind of a running bit where we would call and pretend to be different people uh so you know joe my partner was like i'm gonna be a grandma and i'm gonna call and be like the music is too loud turn it down (laughs) or one time they were like i have a newborn baby and you have to turn the music down because my my baby is trying to sleep there were there was no baby um but no matter who was asking no matter what the request was it was always no um i don't know why yeah i'm like what first i what is what ice cream shop is like our brand is going to be loud <laughs> it's like like, like who goes, goes yeah who goes for loud music at a daytime ice cream store like <laughs> was it always different music or is it always sort of in the same genre it was like top 40 so oh. ah so you know i'm not lots I don't, of justin bieber yeah I'm not too well versed in top forty. <laughs> so usually I hear it from somebody's card. I'm like, not 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 for me, I think. See, I do love pop music. So every now and again they would play like one song I liked and I'd be like, Oh yeah, okay. Like <laughs> you can play this one. <laughs> yeah, I know that sort of I used to have loud neighbors and they would play like it was a very multicultural and I could, I didn't know what the songs would be called or what they were saying, but I started recognizing and I'd be like, oh, I like this one. <laughs> it's like, totally. I don't know who this is and I never will. But, and, but once in a while I would be like in like a Latin bar and I'd be like, oh, it's that great song I like. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> uh, was it an adjustment to move from Cleveland to New York? Cause I remember my moving to New York was quite a, a, a shock to the system. Cincinnati. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Cleveland? You're, yeah, that's okay. I I have lots of pride for Cincinnati as opposed to other <laughs> cities that start with C in Ohio. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I got there when I was like 18 and moved for college. And I do think that moving for school rather than just like you know, after you graduate or just like as an adult moving, um, probably was a little bit helpful just because, you know, you're in a dorm with like hundreds of other kids who also just moved to New York. Um, and you know, there's, there's some structure around it where it's like, okay, here's where you can get your meals. Here's where you go to class. Like, here's what you're doing. Your days are pretty scheduled. So it wasn't just like a you know, got dropped in the middle of New York with a backpack and no idea where I was going. Though sometimes it felt like that. So I don't know. I I was pretty lucky to find a group of people that I really enjoyed spending time with pretty quickly and actually met my best friend like the first week of freshman year, um, which worked out really well. <laughs> uh, you know, kind of crazy coincidence, but like you know, I met, I met Joe freshman year. I met my best friend Mia freshman year. Like, I think they do a pretty good job of being like, you're not just alone in this city. 
but it did definitely, you know, I remember texting my mom once that I was like on the subway at midnight. She was like, don't go on the subway at midnight. I was like, mom, it's so packed. I can't get a seat. Like it's not like this desolate, like empty city. Like things are happening all the time. So I don't know. It was definitely an adjustment, but I feel like I was lucky to find people that I clicked with pretty quickly. And then, you know, the grid system works, works well, you know, (laughs) if you have to go up and over it, it it works well. Yeah. I think a lot of people still have the New York in their head from the like 1970s movies where everybody's like getting mugged. and, And it's like, when I lived there, that era was like the first time I went to New York Times Square was still like just a festival of adult bookstores and and sex workers and and now it's Disney World pretty much it's like such a drastic and like New York I was like oh this the subway at 2 a.m. is not dangerous at all (laughs) I probably was the most dangerous guy and that's just because I smelled like cheap beer so (laughs) But and you yeah, there have been a couple. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh no, there was a. I was just there. I was going to say there was a. There have been a couple. Just like I remember, I was coming home from uh, a rehearsal senior year, so I was like on the train pretty late. I was going back to Brooklyn, you know, a little bit longer train ride, and there was a guy who was like Jersey Shore meets preacher. and was just like going off like you know wrath of hell like everyone's gonna die the woman across from me we were like making eye contact and kind of like you see this guy like what's going on and then he points at me and he goes you deserve a sword (laughs) i was like thanks and then (laughs) i think he just started talking about how i was also gonna die so i like got up and switched seats but you know, now I have a sword. <laughs> so it did come true. Did, he, uh, did you actually get a real sword or like it's just for the music video? Yeah. Oh, is that um, what the connection is with that? Uh, I said that realized I actually do own a sword and thought, Oh my God, that's kind of prophetic. I did not plan for that, but uh, it did work. So <laughs> <laughs> did you like because now you're the ophelias were already a band when you went to college which i think is just the, the fact that you were able all of you were able to stay together while you went to various colleges like it's imp- it's a feat to keep a band together alone <laughs> like let alone splitting uh, like is there anything you can like say like oh we were able to stay together because of these specific like or was it just you were that dedicated? I mean, we were not trying to tour during college until like senior year. So I think that takes a huge pressure off of things where you're just like, okay, I mean, we recorded almost, which was our second record, uh, the summer after freshman year. So we had released a record when we were in high school, like right after we graduated high school and then started writing more songs. And during the freshman year of college, we were all kind of like, okay, what song should we do? What do we like? What are we doing? And then summer after that, we um, recorded it and thought we were just going to like release it again. And then 
um, got in contact with Joyful Noise and just ended up like the process <laughs> takes so much longer than you expect to like put out a record on a record label because you know there's an actual process and I, I had no idea it was awesome I was like oh my god I'm like 19 or 20 and I'm like this is crazy everyone knows what they're doing <laughs> um, and because you know Joyful Noise is really good at what they do and I yeah. feel very lucky that they um wanted to work with us especially when we were that young um but you know so we recorded in 2016 but it didn't come out until 2018 so pretty much the whole time that we were in college we were working on this one project so rather than being like oh my god we have to tour oh my god we have to play shows every weekend like that was kind of out of the question because we were in different states so it was like we can just focus on this project. And then once it came out, we did some tours and then um, our lineup changed and we graduated and we had more time and now we get to do more things, which <laughs> is, it's always the goal, right? Is to be able to do the next thing. Yeah. Like just keep making the next thing. Was the label at all like you got to get out there and play or the, were they totally supportive of what you all were doing? I mean, we actually talked about this pretty recently. Um, our wonderful label contact, Jess, was like, um, you know, I thought it was really impressive that you guys finished school. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> you know? Um, but I think they were very supportive of us just like finishing school and like going to college and doing college and like being college students so and we did play every now and again during that time period just because like you know you sign a contract and they're like you play this many shows per year and so you know during the summers we would play or um during thanksgiving break or christmas break so you know we kind of did what we could when we could um but they were great they were very like we understand that y'all are 18 <laughs> like you gotta go to school totally do it so yeah did was there ever the temptation during college to be like screw this i'm just gonna be in a band because i could imagine that's pretty alluring for me i was in a program that i really loved and things didn't really start happening with that record until i was in my senior year and i was also graduating early so you know, well, well, brag. <laughs> I, I was graduating early. Well, so. I graduated late, um, so there you go. Congratulations! Thank you. That rules <laughs> as well. Um, but I think by the time that I was out of school, because I did leave a semester early, and then in the semester I would have been finishing senior year, we were on tour. So it did kind of do that thing where it was like, oh, this would be so cool if we could go on tour. And then by the time that we could, it's like, this is great. Like <laughs> it did kind of fulfill that, that feeling of like, what if I left school to be a rock star, but, uh, <laughs> was a little less rock star and a little more like, what if we drove like 11 hours a day in a minivan and ate only hummus, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is amazing and ideal. And I can't wait to do it again once things are safe. How was that when you would have your time away from the band and everybody would get together and start playing again? How did that, would that feel? We got pretty good at it. 
we could do like I think there were points where we hadn't played together in like months and we would meet up for a show because I would have to come in from out of town or we would have to meet somewhere weird and like we wouldn't even practice we would just play the show wow and because all of the songs were so old we knew them really well so we could just do that um which was a, a deep comfort and soundtrack is always helpful to be like, <laughs> Oh wait, remember, let's go over this one part of this one song that we always mess up. So that's, that's pretty impressive though. Like I feel that says a great deal about the cohesiveness of your, of your group and you, and your feeling of, for one another. Yeah. I feel really lucky that the people that I get to create with are very just like, observant people and very caring people and very I mean obviously super talented and they're all wonderful so it does feel like okay everybody's just on their game when they have to be on their game they are on their game um if we know that we can't practice people are going to go over their parts beforehand and we'll get there and we'll run through stuff at soundcheck and we'll probably be fine. <laughs> Emphasis on probably because you never know, but <laughs> you know, it's worked, it's worked pretty well. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm really interested in your, uh, that you, what, cause you, I'm sorry. I just got all jumbly in my head. Sometimes there's okay. too many thoughts at once. That's who I am. <laughs> feel pity for my partner who has to deal with that 50 times a day. <laughs> I, I feel that. Yep. But um, the, the, you're, you, from going from opera to rock and just getting involved in being an opera singer, I was wondering what attracted you to, to opera. Because it's, it's just not something you. Th- I think a lot of younger people are like, opera. Like I'm just, which I think is cool. I just, it's not something you see often, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I was in middle school and was like, oh my God, musical theater is so cool. Uh, Which every middle schooler uh, (laughs) likes and appreciates another middle schooler who loves musical theater I did not get bullied at all (laughs) definitely not um and I was not insufferable definitely not (laughs) um but you know I got into musical theater I was doing like summer camps doing that and then by the time I was like call it eighth grade ninth grade um I was taking voice lessons and you know I thought okay I'm gonna do this like this is great um and weirdly there's a pretty big this is so niche but high school opera scene in Cincinnati um there's a program called YAP Young Artist Preparatory Program um at the place that I was doing voice lessons And it was like a Saturday program where you do it once a week for like the whole school year. And then at the end you do like a, you know, performance. And, um, it was all opera and there were a lot of people in it. And so my voice teacher suggested that I do it because he was like, you know, before you go into musical theater and all this stuff, like you should make sure that your voice is healthy and you're learning all of the different techniques and stuff. And so, I kind of pivoted to working with him on 
uh, like true vocal performance, like opera stuff. And then also joined this, excuse me, Saturday program. Um, and did it for all four years of high school, got really into it, uh, thought I was going to be a voice major and like do opera in college. Um, and then by junior year, I was kind of like, I don't think that this is what I want to do. Um, and it was, it was kind of difficult. I was like, I really thought that this is what I was going to do. I thought it was going to be exactly the thing that I like wished for and wanted. Um, and the more that I do it, the more actually I've said this before, I think, but, um, the thing that made me realize that about opera was the fact that there's not a lot of new material coming out. Like opera is a very historical art form and there's a lot of great, you know, operas that exist, but there's not a ton of new opera being written. And a lot of it, you know, I, I consider like Philip Glass kind of in that same realm, but it's very much not the same as like Deflator Mouse or something. So those kinds of operas, those kinds of things are not being created in the same way that they were historically. And so the roles that are available, especially for women, um, are super limited. Like you and the same, call it like 500 women will be auditioning for the same five, like ingenue, sister, like those kinds of roles until you turn what, like 35 and then suddenly you're all auditioning for the mother role. And it's very like, I don't know. I have a lot of respect for opera and I still enjoy a lot of what it has and, you know, recognize what it's taught me and all that. But I was like, you know, I'm really interested in like new work and like, creating new things and like experiencing new things, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was part of why I didn't end up like wanting to continue with that. I did go into experimental theater. <laughs> so I went is, fully in the opposite direction. Is to, that what you like majored in? Is Yeah. I went to the experimental theater wing and Tish. And so I was doing pretty much all like devised work and which is like, you know, brand new work you create together as a group. So like super collaborative, super like in the moment, it's very movement heavy. So there was a lot of like dance stuff happening. I got kind of a dance, uh, <laughs> degree. I don't know. Um, it's, it was, kind of perfect to be honest it was like I, I was feeling kind of stuck in this thing and not knowing where I could go beyond what had been created and then got to switch gears entirely and study this thing where the whole point is like you are boundless in what you can create and the best way to do it is to create things with each other and to create community and to create like trust and bonds with each other and I don't know I feel like that totally informed music as well um I don't know if you've read our <laughs> press release for this new record but the whole 
whole idea with this new record is like, you know, after we had spent so much time apart, um, kind of working through the nitty gritty of almost because the mixing process is what took such a long time because we were really like going into things and changing things and the record process itself takes a long time. So by the time that we were ready to record the next thing, we were like, we want to do it together, right? Like we want to do it as a community. So it was really the four of us at the center, but it really blossomed out into all of our friends, acquaintances, like, you know, I was like, Hey, uh, to my friend, I was like, can your dad come and play horns on our record? And he was like, yeah, sure. And so he came and played horns on the record or like a friend of a friend played bassoon. They were like, hell yeah, come play bassoon on the record. So it, I really think it does parallel that. Just the like, we want to create together. We want to create a community. We want to have trust and bonds with each other to create something new, you know? That's really cool. I w- that's You answered it, but I was going to ask how much of what you were studying at school and started to influence your music, but I pretty much answered that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it the the stuff I was doing at school is definitely more like it's a live theater program, but I myself am more geared towards film and music. So, a lot of what was being created was very like soundscapes or like experimental like what can you do with your body and your voice to like create this feeling rather than like let's write songs together. But I did uh <laughs> two of the songs on the new record I did write in one of my vocal composition classes um which was very cool and I appreciate that they let me do that. <laughs> Is there a because I lived in New York briefly and I guess I wasn't, I, I, I got the impression and you would know better than me that there's still, that the theater has become in New York, especially Broadway, very, you know, corporate. And it's like, let's make a musical out of this thing that already has existed 50 different ways. And which is, so is there still like a lot of experimental theater and cool underground stuff going on in that regard? Yeah, I would say definitely. I think you're uh, kind of on the nose with the Broadway thing. I think a lot of things, um, once big corporations realize that there's money in something, uh, the likelihood that it will become kind of that sterile corporate thing is pretty high. Uh, So I definitely would agree with that. But there are still some good ones. I don't know. I don't want to say, like, Broadway's corporate, and it sucks, because I feel like it's totally a show-by-show thing. I haven't seen anything on Broadway (laughs) in years, to be honest, since I I got, like, (laughs) tickets through a class in in freshman year or something. But I will say off-Broadway and, like, off-off-off-Broadway and, like, you know, basement theaters and, you know... Uh, shows in parks and all this stuff. They totally exist. And I actually have a lot of friends from college who are very much in that scene now. And it's always cool to see what they're doing because I think there's a big reaction to that kind of corporate Broadway thing where they're like, well, we're going to create... Joe, our bassist and my partner, talks a lot about uh, like termite art. Do you know that phrase? 
I don't, but I'm inter- very interested. In, uh, I like that phrase. Yeah, it's cool. I, I, they're a filmmaker, and uh, that's how we met. <laughs> we made uh, a film together feature summer after freshman year, and then got together and then made another one summer before senior year. So the same summer that the record came out, we made a film together, and that film just premiered this summer at the Brooklyn Film Festival. Oh, Ooh. all right. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> but um, so they're a filmmaker. They went to school for that. And um, I always love hearing them talk about art and stuff. Um, but termite art is like, I'm not going to be able to quote them directly here because my memory is. So I feel like termite art is just like, it's small, right? It's kind of like a lowbrow quote unquote, but it's super effective and can kind of almost trick people into seeing high art. Like you think that it's low art or conversational or like, um, pop culture-y or like, you know, just like lowbrow kind of whatever art. And then it's actually like high art disguised as low art. And that's the kind of like termite thing where it's like, you know, it's just a little tiny thing, but it can do a lot. Oh, <laughs> um, I'd like that concept a lot. Yeah, it's cool. And I feel like there's a ton of great movies that execute that really well. And I like that idea for live theater stuff too, because it's like, you know, the the best thing that I saw, I think recently, which at this point was probably like six years ago, which I haven't seen a lot of live theater, I guess, (laughs) but uh, it was a deaf West production of spring awakening. And does any of that? Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. Yeah. So Spring Awakening, which already I was, I mean, I was obsessed with that in like middle school and early high school. So great to revisit it as a college student. But then the Deaf West production was amazing because they double cast all of the lead roles with one hearing actor and one deaf actor. And so like they were moving in and out and like someone was signing and someone was singing and someone was playing guitar and suddenly they were like, it was incredible. It was very, I, I don't know if I would consider that termite art because the concept was so high, but it was super effective and just like stunningly beautiful. And that was the last one that I was like, Oh my God, like, this is incredible, you know? Yeah. I was interested in what was going on because I talked to, do you know, pink clouds, cloudy, but the, the, yeah, yeah, because cloudy was on a a few weeks ago and their approach to just playing in the park and playing on the street. And I was under the impression from a jazz musician I talked to like some years ago that New York was becoming so expensive that to do independent things was becoming next to impossible. And which, and I was like, concerned <laughs> it's like because you know that's when a city's so vibrant creatively that it, it becomes financially challenging to do anything so it's it's wild and encouraging to hear that people are going to the streets and finding different ways of which i think you know adversity always inspires such things i mean i feel like at this point you just have to have a day job like <laughs> you just have to have some way to pay your rent and then as long as you can do that like 
there are spaces for this kind of like underground, like on the street or in a basement, in a church, like, you know, there, there are spaces and I feel like there are people creating in that way. You just have to look around a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause Chicago was very DIY and just like people would just mm-hmm. do shows anywhere. <clears throat> and it, it, it gave me that when I left, it gave me the false sense. Cause I was like, I was used to crowds just being everywhere and then you would go to LA and it's like oh there's there's no one at these shows <laughs> it's like it's it would be hard. people would be at open mics there'd be like regular crowds at open mics who were like fans of the show and it's just like you're a fan of an open mic okay <laughs> but it made for a vibrant scene it was there uh uh a process or I don't know from going from opera to singing like indie rock was that was there a moment of transition or discovery or anything like was because I would imagine it's two different worlds or yeah I mean I feel like I had to kind of expand in my brain what I thought of as like my voice because I don't know. It's been kind of an up and down thing. I'll tell you, when I was in middle school, I purposefully pitched my voice down. I read that. Yeah, because I wanted people to take me more seriously. So I would like, you know, pitch my voice down and try to sound cool and all this stuff. And it, you know, actually did affect (laughs) my voice and how I speak. Um, And... So then when I got into opera, it was like, okay, well, you actually don't speak like that. And when you speak higher up, like, that's where your voice naturally sits. And, but then it felt like I was living in this very, like, kind of like, can I curse on this show? I've already said motherfucker, remember? Oh, right. (laughs) It just kind of, it felt like I had a stick up my ass the whole time. Except for ass. How dare you? I'm kidding. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like very like, ah, yes, like I'm an opera singer. Like, oh. Um, And it didn't feel right either. So then realizing that I could sing a different way and I didn't have to think about like oh like where's the placement of my entire head and my jaw and my everything like it felt very just like natural and I think now I'm trying to figure out like what it all is I don't know I feel like your voice is something very personal and very like uh, weirdly emotional you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how to describe it well. That, I feel like that's the best I could do is like, it was this thing and then it was this thing and now it's kind of this thing, uh, which feels good. And for now, I guess, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's definitely a, it's been a long process and it's not something that I, necessarily like fixate on but it is something i think about do you feel and and this is oddly relates to something that i've been processing and thinking about in my own life but 
I'll start here. Do you feel like discovering your voice that you sing with the Ophelias from what the opera was, was there a sense of discovering also more of yourself and who you are as a person and an artist? Absolutely. Yeah. Just like, I mean, I'll go back to the community thing. I think finding a group of people where it's like, you can fuck up and it's not a big deal. Like I'm, I'm completely self-taught with guitar. So like, I, I do not know what chords I'm playing pretty much ever. Like I don't know the technical names for, you know, the sus seven and whatever. (laughs) Like it's super, just not how I learned guitar. Cause I just like picked it up and kind of figured out what I liked. Um, and having a group of people where it was like, they don't care. Like (laughs) they'll just figure it out with me. And, you know, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, and this is what key that song is in. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Like good to know. Uh, didn't know that, but it was very like, I felt like I had the ability to learn more about myself because the space was so like cool with where I was. Does that make sense? Like everybody kind of met in the middle and was willing to like, you know, Andrea, for example, our violinist is like, you know, super trained in violin and has been taking lessons forever and like is very technically talented and is also super creative, super open and super willing to be like, okay, I know you don't know what key this song is in. Like, let's just play it through a bunch of times and I'll figure out like what would sound cool, what would sound cool. And I don't know. I feel like that is such a valuable trait in a space and for a group. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like I I learned to be louder. I learned to be um, more confident. I learned to be um, in both my like musicianship and also because when you're playing on stage, like you do have to just be like, yeah, I'm on stage and I'm playing and you bought a ticket to come see me. So I'm not going to pretend that I am just like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know. You have to be like, okay, I'm playing a show. <laughs> like, and that's something I definitely had to learn to be like, I am here. You paid to see me. I'm going to play. Even if I don't know what chord this is, <laughs> you know, I feel like, and maybe I don't know anything, which is probably how we should all approach <laughs> life. But like having that, I don't know what I'm playing to me seems more freeing and open to finding different ways to create than being locked in sort of a, maybe I'm wrong, but that's sort of my take. Like you go back to early blues and stuff. It's like a lot of the same thing. It was more just about feeling and expression than being technical. Yeah. I mean, one cool thing is I feel like I have felt myself getting better as a guitar player. Uh, in the years since I began and it's cool to be like, Oh, I know for a fact I would not have been able to play this a couple of years ago. And now I can, that's great. But I definitely agree where it's like, because there wasn't an expectation of like, Oh, I'm going to play 
this riff that everyone knows and I will be bad at it and everyone can tell. It was like, no one can tell. Like, it is totally freeing. It's like, I don't know, I part of the reason why every song I write uses a capo like a capo 11 like <laughs> ridiculous stuff like you know there's a song from our very first record where it's literally i think capo 11 or capo 12 and i play it not like a normal but with my arm up like this and holding strings down that way and that's because i liked how it sounded didn't know that you could do it a different way and was like this works like i'm gonna do it right and it's funny because now sometimes it shows if we play that one, like guitar bros will come up to me and be like, Hey, like sick guitar playing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you would have made fun of me if we were in a band together and I didn't know what chord I was playing, <laughs> but okay. Thanks. <laughs> like, uh, Cause that happened a lot, you know, yeah. with people that I, was playing with who weren't in this band, you know, there was a lot of like, Ugh, okay. Like you don't know what chord you're playing. Like, I guess I'll figure it out. Like basically you dumbass. Like, and so there, I, I don't know. I have a lot of, uh, gratefulness <laughs> in my heart for my bandmates and people, you know, engineers, our, our friend John, who engineered the last record, Crocus, um, he would never be like, all right, like, okay, what key is it? What, what BPM is it? Immediately, like, and, you know, I try to keep track of that stuff because when we do demos, I'm like, I'm a spreadsheet kind of girl, so I'll make <laughs> lots of spreadsheets, lots of, you know, charts and things. But when it's something that I don't know, I really appreciate people who are like, yeah, no worries. Like we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. We're doing it together. It's a communal effort rather than like you suck. You don't know what it is. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I was in a theater community in Chicago and there was, there was two camps like that. There was the communal, like whatever, let's have fun. Let's figure this out. Let's express ourselves. And there was that sort of, there was a guru of, and he was very, um, brat, not, not brash. He was harsh and like, would like be very critical. And I was like that. And people like worship this guy. And to me, I was like, that does more damage than it does good because some of us come to this frail or insecure, or we're finding our way. We don't know what our voice is and we need assurance and guidance and that kind of shit just pisses me off because i'm like you probably scared a lot of people who did not further explore their creativity because they were afraid of this harsh grumpy old junkie frankly <laughs> and you know i think in some cases you know i have a friend who does lighting design and so when you're doing something like lighting design where it's all electrical and like dangerous, like you do have to know what you're doing. Yes. But in something like music where worst case scenario, you play the wrong note, like you, you can just be more welcoming. It doesn't have to be that like harsh, brash thing. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, 
women do get more of that as like you you have to be the top guitar player for people to be like she's a good guitar player you have to be like saint vincent for people to be like she's a good guitar player so and then if you're not the likelihood that you'll be you know teased or you dumbass or whatever is it's high yeah that's i'm sorry that 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 bothers me (laughs) i mean that's why i appreciate my band so much right because you know nick's a dude but he doesn't do that like yeah Yeah, and it's common i mean i've talked to like caitlin mulgard from bad waitress i i guess i got hung up on the 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 not hung up is the wrong word but when the, with the thing of lowering your voice because that and I don't know if I read too far into it but I guess I've been this thing I've been processing lately is how many things in our life that we like I did stuff like that when I was in high school and we become I, do you know who Jeffrey Marsh is and Jeffrey Marsh is a non-binary activist that I follow on Instagram. Yes, I do. I had to think, but I do. Yeah. I've been following Jeffrey Marsh for a while and they were talking about the, how we are socialized to be away from ourselves, especially non-binary people and to assimilate and to fit in. And that really affected me because I was like, that happens to all of us to some degree, not to that degree, but I know I tried to assimilate and hid feelings and myself and did things. And I, when you, when I read that about you, I was like, oh man, like that's one, like, because it's been so prevalent on my mind. And I was like, we, to some degree, I'm like, we have to spend so much time unlayering all these defenses and things that we've done to because I got the shit kicked out of me. It's like, like I, you know, I was, I didn't fit in. I wasn't one of those tough guys. And it, I think people, I don't know what people sensed in me and, and I probably didn't either. So I hid it. And yeah, I mean the, the voice lowering thing was definitely a product of internalized misogyny where it's like the assimilation is too like expected normal like you're assimilating to the expected normal which in our broader society uh is male so for me it was like oh okay i'm like this twerpy nerdy like in middle school i like i went through a phase where i wore something purple every day i was really into musical theater i was you know they passed around a a yearbook where they like wrote mean things about everybody and they wrote spencer pevitt crybaby and i was like yeah and i like cried and ran out of the room because they were correct um but like you know i was not my my junior high was lots of like sporty people it was all sports all the time and I was very much not that and so the best way to assimilate was to hang out with the group of guys who were also kind of like into music or like didn't play sports or did lighting crew or whatever and so there was like me and a couple other girls and I feel like we all kind of did it where the assimilation is to men. The assimilation is to normal, quote unquote. Um, 
which does deal with a lot of internalized misogyny. And then that kind of continues into like, do you know the, the whole like not like other girls thing? Yeah. Um, that was totally me in high school where, you know, I switched schools. I went to an all girls Catholic high school in suburban Ohio. And I was like, I am so different and so quirky. And I wear my Doc Martens and I have green hair and I do not play sports and I read like, like Solinger, like, okay, like we read that in English class. Why do you think that's so interesting? Like, okay, whatever. But I do think that there's a pretty direct line just from what you get taught is normal, what you get taught is baseline, and then how that kind of manifests through everything. And I mean, I've, I've thought a lot about this as somebody who now does not consider myself any of those things and very much tries to think about like, like, yeah, I am the same as other girls because that's an okay thing to be is a person like not centered around men and not centered around what men think of me or how not I don't know I feel like a lot of times the like manic pixie dream girl ends up being just like you are not a person you are something for men to relate to rather than a person yourself um and it took a lot of time to kind of unlearn that feeling of I am here for other people to learn and grow from like, I am here for other people to do their big revelations through and not be a person myself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it started <laughs> with the, you know, I'm going to lower my voice. I'm going to sound like the guys. I'm going to make them take me seriously into I'm different and quirky and I have green hair into Manic Pixie Dream Girl, like, I wear little mini backpacks. I still do that, but like I have little backpacks and I wear plaid skirts and have dyed hair and I'm spontaneous and fun. And yeah, you don't have to know me really because I can just be here for you to recognize things about yourself through the image of me or, you know, the way that it happens in movies. Um, And then just having to be like, no, like, who are you? Like, who are you really? Like, who are you as a person? Rather than what is the image that you portray? Is there a connection between this and the line, I want to be your fantasy, and which I forget in which song that is in. I forget because I've been really binging on you music. Yeah. um, I, I was curious about that when I heard that line. I was like, there's, what is to this line? Yeah, it's, uh, I want to be what you fantasize. Oh, right, yes, and sorry, I butchered your words. Yeah, you're good. Um, it's funny, because that was actually just, like, I, I was, you know, pining after someone, and I actually knew exactly what they wanted <laughs> and what they fantasized about, and it was not me at all. So it was less, like... I am the thing that you fantasize and more like, I know for a fact I am not and I want to be it. Yeah. 
that uh, the, the what we were talking about prior with with the layers and stuff. I just it, I've been like exploring like Buddhism and things of attachment. It's just it's just crazy to me. I'm like, do we ever really? Can we ever really figure out who we are? And I feel like in a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I have so many defenses layered on me because I grew up, and I would say I definitely grew up with a lot of, f- like, female energy, if, for lack of a better way of putting it. Like, I cry to a point where my partner makes fun of me, and she's like, aren't, aren't, aren't I typically supposed to be the one who cries this much? <laughs> like, she's, we have, like, a very... She puts all the IKEA furniture together, and I'm like, I can't fucking do this. <laughs> but I grew up very non, like I cars and all that stuff and sports. I was just like, I, oh, okay, I, no thanks. And I, I got a lot of, but I put on a lot of defenses and masculine, like tough guy stuff. And I was even thinking about it today. I was like, wow, well, maybe a lot of the authors I have read most of my life was a different sort of layering of like. Hey, the beats, those are tough guys. <laughs> and it's like, not that I'm a big beat guy. It was just for a lack of, but I don't know. We just put so much, I've just been processing like in an era of where we have sexual fluidity or gender fluidity that maybe all of it is really just like what we think is, the, or what we're trained to think of the way is so not the way. <laughs> it's like, Yeah, I mean, to be honest, a lot of what I was just talking about comes from a slightly reductive view of feminism where it's like, you know, girlhood and like cis womanhood. And something that I really appreciate about like the younger generation that is growing up currently and I'm on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z. (laughs) So I feel like, you know, I feel like I... um, I'm lucky enough to be able to like talk about this with people who are like strictly Gen Z and like hear what they think about it. But I really appreciate how gender has become what it is now fluid and open and more easily talked about and with more language around it. And I really do think it fits well into are you an Angela Davis fan? Oh, how could you not be? Yeah. I've tried to get her on the um, podcast. I can't get her on. <laughs> she's amazing. But she has this really wonderful quote about like abolition and abolitionist framework and how um, like trans people uh, kind of, I think it was like, we wouldn't be where we are today, encouraging more and more people to work and think in an abolitionist framework had not the trans community showed us that it is possible to challenge our very view of normalcy. And I think that that is so wonderful because it all ties in together, right? Like abolition, gender, I mean, gender abolition is amazing. And I think it's a wonderful concept of just like beyond like you know, cis male, cis female, and then third gender non-binary, like the whole point of non-binary is that it is expansive and that it like is not just a third option that you can check on a form. It's, it's really wonderful. And, you know, as somebody who is a cis woman, um, I have felt very grateful to my partner, Joe, who is non-binary, and Nick, our drummer, who is trans, um, just to, to be able to learn from them and hear how they feel about things and just, like, 
I don't know. I, I think just listening is so important and reflecting yourself on like, okay, what have I been taught? What if myself is like the expectation of gender and what of myself is who I am. It comes back to that. Yeah. What we were talking about before, like how do you tell who you are? And so much of this, I think this whole gender thing is like, it's like, it goes through a tube of like, you, you get born and then you get stuffed into a box or a tube into where people see you going. And I love that now people are, if we're going to continue with the tube metaphor, uh, <laughs> breaking out of the tubes, <laughs> like, and the whole, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to see where kind of the philosophy behind it goes yeah. in the coming years and like how the world changes for the better with that stuff and how like I don't know I'm obviously some of our our government is still uh back in like the 50s with all this shit but I have I have hope that um people will continue to learn and will continue to listen it's what I'm gonna try to do you know and yeah, I I yeah, mean lots the, of thoughts. <laughs> I take my partner is much smarter and than me, so <laughs> like I let her inform me and listen, and I'll if I you know I and we have two kids, so I'm trying and we are trying to be like how do we because it's crazy. My one daughter is five years old, and there's so much already in her head about gender and and all looks and, and it's just and I'm just like where the because f- we have been you know we'll see where they go and we'll that's what we support and you know would be who you are we never were like being the princesses and we kind of had our fingers crossed that that wouldn't happen but super into princesses <laughs> and but we were like cool that's what you're into enjoy and it's been there's been fun to be found with that as well as a parent but it's crazy to just see how much is already and like how much the school system doesn't do like, cause she wore a dress with trucks on it. And some boy was like, girls can't like trucks. And we have to be like in a nice way, say that kid's full of shit. <laughs> it's like, it's bullshit what he says, but I'm like angry at the school system that that should already be something that's being presented within the school system. Even that yeah. basic of gender bullshit. Like, that's not even, like, radical, crazy thinking to a mainstream school, in public school. Yeah, I feel like having children sounds really interesting because it's, like, you can think about all of this, like, you know, high philosophical stuff about gender abolition and abolition in general and how everything fits together and how, like things can move forward or how they were in the past and how we can learn from that. And then you have a kid and it's like, your dress has trucks on it. 
you can't do that. Boys like drugs. And you're back to square one. And you're like, fuck, like I have to, it happens all over again where you have to teach a new human being (laughs) all of the stuff that you've learned over the course of, I don't know how old you are, but like for me, it'd be like over the course of 24 years, like, you know, I'm old. I'm twice your age. (laughs) And then some. But it's like, as a guy who is 52, is what I am, this is where you say you look good for 52. You look great for 52. (laughs) But like, I know, like, I caught myself a few years ago getting sort of mentally stuck in my ways. Like, not like with gender, but just like, oh, that kind of, and like, I had to stop myself and go, all right, this is not good. But I think it's a common thing that happens when people get to certain ages. And I was like, I'm not going to be that person. And I'm going, so I made a point to start getting books and, and talk with people who, and my partner, who's always very hip and, but you know, because I'm like, I have to challenge myself because it is my responsibility as a human being to be aware of what is changing and what is happening to this world. So I can grow and not be stuck and be some fuckhead asshole white guy. (laughs) And you know, it's like this you know, it's not a new concept. Like it has been around for as long as people have been around. Yeah. But the thing that has changed is just access and language and ability for people to like learn about it. And I think it's great that you're just like, okay, like time to get some books. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think it's just, and like, it's just weird I think and I've seen it with my other friends and not just men but like people just start getting like I don't know if it's lazy or if it's just set in their ways and too much of the same information like my buddy anytime I talk to him politically I'm like oh you're just MSNBC talking points like you're not even like and he's the guy who turned me on to Chomsky I'm like so what happened (laughs) like where'd this go wrong (laughs) I mean, I think it's totally true that everyone, no matter their political affiliation, can get stuck and that you do have to do active work to become unstuck. I have been, a little tangent, I've been working with the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers for the past year or so since, I guess it's over a year now because it's July. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember when I joined, but um, we're like a a super new organization created during the pandemic. And that is something that I have loved about UMA is how much it has challenged me to not get stuck, even in small ways, about thinking like, okay, here's how like an organization should be structured. And then it's like, oh, but have you heard about sociocracy? It's like, no, I haven't. And I will learn about it. And I will try to become unstuck in thinking there is one right way to do this. Because the best thing to do is to keep learning and to keep gathering information from people who know more about certain things. Like, I don't know a ton about how to organize an organization. Like that is just not the thing that I know a ton about, but there are people in that org who know a ton about it. And so why wouldn't I listen to them? Yeah. Why wouldn't I take in everything I can from them? Are, are they the organization that's 
that was petitioning like Spotify, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. Nadia from Ganser was on my podcast a while ago, and she's been very active with that and uh, helped educate. Yeah. And I, I'm like, I'm on board. Like, it's just, it's wildly. And I was talking to a friend at a wedding the other day, and he was just saying that his agent said to him, like, in five to ten years, there's going to be in universities they'll start teaching how Netflix totally fucked the industry because the pay and everything is like so drastically different and the control over the artist and it's like it's just it's 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 insane I mean the thing about services like that Netflix Spotify is that they kind of take the artist out of the equation where it's no longer about the art that is created it's about like the content on the platform and it's interesting i mean i say this as someone who uses both of those platforms myself like, included i i mean i'm like i would love to have a movie on netflix i would love to <laughs> like you know what i mean like yeah. i i'm joe and i are filmmakers we write scripts we do things and netflix is the place if you want something to be seen that's where you go. I think it can also be true that they it kind of takes the art out of the equation and it's thinking purely about numbers, right? Same with Spotify, where, you know, the Spotify... Did, did you read that article with the Spotify architect? I probably have. I would probably need my brain refresher, but I did definitely read a lot about it, so I'm sure I was in that... Yeah, someone from Spotify just uh, did an interview or, or wrote an op-ed, I think, about how, like, the purpose of Spotify was to end piracy and was to distribute music widely, and the purpose was not to pay artists. And doubled down kind of on this service is not meant to pay artists, the service is to end piracy, and it's kind of like by not paying artists you are continuing yeah the, the, piracy the lot so who's getting paid like the label like, spotify yeah so, i mean so i so i'm actually not on the streaming committee um which is the the group of people who has really been doing the work on the justice and spotify campaign and has been doing a lot of really amazing just like interviews and uh putting together infographics and all this stuff. So I know some of it, but I would highly encourage people if they are listening to this and are like, what is she talking about? To actually go look at the information that's available online because I am not <laughs> the expert <laughs> on it. Um, but basically I, th I think what it comes down to is that there are, I think there's three major labels, right? It's like, I don't remember what they are, but yeah, it's like the three major labels and they um, get a portion of each stream. So the example that we give is like you walk into a record store, a physical record store, you buy a record of your favorite band. Let's say you buy an Ophelia's record. <laughs> Let's tie it back in. You buy our new record, Crocus, that comes out on September 24th. We have the yellow vinyl. It's sick. So you walk into your local record store. You say, I'm going to buy an Ophelia's record. You buy the Ophelia's record. And 
a portion of that goes to Justin Bieber. A portion of that sale goes to Ariana Grande or The Weeknd or on this major label. Even though you bought an Ophelia's record, part of the money from that sale goes to the major label. So that's, I think that's pro rata is the title of what that's called. And that's how Spotify operates because those major labels got in on some kind of ground level deal. And again, I'm not the expert on this, so definitely would encourage everyone to look at it. But the example, that was the example that was given to me. And I think it's really helpful because it's like, why the fuck (laughs) if you buy an Ophelia's record would half of that money go to some major label? And it's the same way with streams. Oh, dear fucking God. (laughs) It's like, I I just, you know, I'm uh, like a, I come from a union family. One of my brothers was a union organizer, like an elected union official, not to say that Teamsters wasn't had its own corruption, but it's just like, (laughs) (laughs) but just the fact that the worker or the people who put in the work continuously and continue to get fucked. And I don't see it getting, I don't see it getting better. I see things getting worse and worse. And like, uh, like technically the government should step in and say to Netflix and Spotify, Hey, mofos, time to pay up and pay properly people for their work. But I don't have any faith in any of those fuckers. <laughs> I mean, they're doing it in the UK. That's happening right now in I the UK. I hope that is infectious. Yeah. Um, it really reminds me of, have you seen all the, like, quote-unquote labor shortages Oh, yeah, that happening? infuriates me, too. It's not a labor shortage. It's a wage shortage. Yeah. I, I listened to a piece on NPR the other day where they interviewed an owner of a restaurant. And I was like, I, as a guy who's worked in the service industry on and off for a good chunk of his life. And they asked her if, first of all, I was like, you should be talking to fucking workers, not an owner. Because she owns mm-hmm. four restaurants. So I was like, kind of fuck her. Sorry, I get worked up. <laughs> but it was like, and they asked her if she was offering more better wages and she's like well we've started dis- dispensing the tips among the kitchen staff and I was like you just said the wrong thing like the kitchen staff deserves to be paid because they work fucking hard but it's like you answered the question wrong you're actually taking money from people and that doesn't level anything out it actually causes more damage Insta- and she blamed customers for not wanting to pay the right prices for food. And I'm like, you're wrong. You're just wrong. I've worked it. <laughs> like, I know what it goes into it. Sorry, yeah, I had a I tangent mean, there. No, you're good. I think <laughs> I read that same story on NPR. Uh, but I do just think that there is a serious lack of, like class solidarity in America Mm -hmm. and it's absolutely necessary for things to change is for people to recognize class solidarity as important and to, I don't know, the idolizing billionaires thing is, you know, and again, I say this as somebody who has these ideals, but who definitely still engages in the system because no other systems exist yet. Yeah. So like our music is still on Spotify 
I still have Spotify. I use it to find new music. And the thing with Spotify is that it does distribute your music as far as it possibly can. Like it reaches people in places that I would have no ability to reach. And so like, I don't, I, I really believe that all of these things can be true at once where it can be something that has negative sides that you do have to pay attention to and change Mm -hmm. because it's important and because the value of art is important. And also it can be a useful tool to reach people in continents and countries that I would never have the ability or access to go to. So at least right now I haven't done an international tour yet. So like, I, I don't know. I'm, I think everything can be true at once. That's what my therapist says. You can hold two things at once. Thank you for you. And thank you for your splendid voice, music, and everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.